Secrets, Season 10, a focus on women. We continue to elevate and empower female-identifying professionals in the commercial photography industry. We're so excited to have you with us on this journey, and we hope that you have enjoyed the stories we have shared so far. We're closing in on our 100th episode, where Tracy and I will look back over our two-year journey to get to this point. If you're interested in being interviewed for this podcast, please drop us a note. Go to focusonwomen.org slash contact and let us know a little bit about you so we can get you on the schedule. This is Tracy, and we are here with Lisa Bortman. She is a Bay Area photographer specializing in people, is one of the topics, and we'll go into some other topics, but she's mostly people photographer. That's how I know her. She's also an amazing chair now with the San Francisco APA, and she's got her hands in a lot of different things, so I'm super excited to reconnect with her on this talk. And we have Shelly Waldman here with us as well. So welcome to you both, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So Lisa, so good to see you. Um, it's been, as we said earlier, a couple years because of COVID. So let's dive in and start talking about where you got started in photography. I know you're born and raised in the Bay. So did you go to school for photography? How did that passion come about and walk us through that? Thanks. You know, I, yes, born and raised here um, in the Bay and in high school, I was, you know, hooked on throwaway cameras. I was the one friend who just, I mean, we all had them, but I was obsessed a little bit. And I'd even create little shot lists when I'd go on vacation with friends, like take a picture with the tree, take a picture with it, you know, just a ran, the most random. And that's where I think I, I first fell in love with photography and and I decided to take a photo class when I was a junior in high school. And that class was led at the time by Steve Babeljack, who you may recognize that name. He took on a teaching job for a stint of time. And he is still to this day, one of my dearest friends and mentors. He's also on the board of APA and just an incredible commercial photographer who also focuses on lifestyle and, and portraiture. So I learned a lot from him early on. And, you know, high school is what it is. So my, my devotion to photography was very playful, but immediately after and trying to figure out my career forward, that was the one thing I was the most passionate about. And I think he saw that in me and really helped, helped kind of nudge it. And so he would loop me in on jobs. I started assisting for him while I was going to a community college, trying to figure out my path. And, and he really kind of took me under his wing and, and shared as much knowledge as he could. And eventually it just became more clear as I started photographing for friends and family friends, just for fun and side money, just to, okay, I'm going to go full throttle. And so I ended up transferring to the Academy of Art and focused on commercial photography, went there and I kind of hustled really hard throughout that entire process instead of just focusing on school. Cause as you can tell, I don't just focus on one thing at a time. As I was in school, I hustled to network and to meet people who were in the San Francisco commercial industry. And I started PAing. I started working with um, really badass production leads and starting to learn from then. I started to assist for other photographers like Mark LeBlanc, who's an incredible 
portrait photographer as well. And I just, yeah, I just hustled. I hustled hard and I moved fast and I ended up not graduating at the Academy of Art because I was working more than I was schooling. And it just got to a point where I said, why do I, why do I want to keep, keep going to school if I've got it and I'm going, I'm doing it. So I ended up my last semester, I ended up saying there is a, a option to take this big production that was just going to occupy so much time. And I said, I'm going to pause on school and focus on the career for a while. Um, and the career took off and I've been hustling ever since. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So talk to us a little bit about what that looks like for you in terms of when did you get involved with the APA? Was that like a first step towards marketing for you or how did that? It's a good question. You know, not necessarily. I was introduced to it when I was in college because they have a really great relationship to the Academy. And I became a member and I would go to some events where I would hear Eric Alma speak or um, some other really incredible editorial fashion photographers. And I just remember being really inspired about hearing these photographers you know, succeeding in their careers and thriving. And I thought, okay, it's doable. And so that gave me a lot of hope and inspiration, but I wasn't that interactive with the community and with my membership. It was more so just through the school. And then after I left the school, I didn't know the value of APA. So I, I stopped going until I was trying on my own to create a sense of community. I had met so many people and I was trying to keep us connected and figure out, you know, how, and this was kind of Instagram and social media was still fairly newish. So people could stay connected, but it wasn't what it is now. And so I, I worked years to try to understand how to stay connected with people and how to bring people closer together because it was such a competitive market and being a woman in the industry was very challenging. And I was just always around people who moved really fast. And I felt like I just constantly wanted this like understanding of like, how can we come together? Like, hold on. And so I think that that was recognized in all of my work was just that desire to stay connected and build a sense of community. And so in 2000, Mm, 17, perhaps I was with, I, I forget who I was with, but honestly, Mark LeBlanc, I had been doing some in-house kind of production work with him and he was joining the board of APA and he told them, Hey, well, we're looking for people to build community. This is Lisa's specialty. This is her focus. And so they looped me in and asked me to be a part of the board. And so I actually rejoined as a member so that I could be a part of the board. And it was the first time I understood what APA was all about. And I was really thrilled to get involved and start doing some more leadership stuff with community gatherings and kind of connecting there. So that's when I re recommitted. Uh, and that's been, and that's been fun. Yeah. Yeah. And are you still also a part of the studio share at Capital Art? At Capital Art. Yeah. No, I'm not. With the shutdown, uh, I left and went on uh, a different path. And we are obviously all of, I mean, that's such that, that studio and the people and Ken and Lupin and Sarah, the community there is really beautiful. And we're all family, you know, but I don't, I don't spend my days there unless I'm shooting now. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. So talk a little bit more about what you are shooting, where are you finding, you know, you've created such a good community around yourself and you have some great networking, obviously from being on the board with the APA and being involved on your own with different people. What other marketing tips can you share that you've learned through all of that with our mm -hmm. audience who's maybe just getting started? Such a good question. You know, I, did, I didn't realize it until I just hired my first assistant and I had her running through my DMs and my emails to just kind of 
keep track of some stuff. And she looked at me and she says, you talk to so many people. <laughs> I said, oh yeah. She's like, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. That's, I guess that's, that's my way. And I, and I walked her through this and it was all of a sudden very clear to me that I have never paid for marketing. I have never officially marketed. I am a social person. And I, that is my honestly greatest skill set is I'm a people person naturally. So I'm constantly talking to people, showing up to events, meeting people, connecting, and not in a, you know, because I want it to lead to work. It's just a genuine connection. And those have been the ways that my work has um, pushed along and been passed along and referrals have happened. And I do believe that, you know, marketing is is important and it's something I'm trying to button up in a more intentional way. But honestly, everything for me has been word of mouth, who I know, who's referring me and for what, and just outreach, asking people, Hey, I'm available. You know, I'm looking for this or that, and just being a lot more direct with what I'm asking for. So they know what they can hire me for, but yeah, word of mouth has been everything for me. Yeah. 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 Very cool. So talk a little bit about some of your other responsibilities. I mean, we met, I think you interviewed me, God, that mm -hmm. had to have been 2018 or maybe even 2017 in Palm Springs yes. when I was first doing Focus on Women. But besides APA, during COVID, I know you started another nonprofit. Can you talk a little bit about that and what that's brought to you and your community? Yeah. So obviously I talk to a lot of people. I, I look for opportunities to work with people, right? That's, well, that's, that's my marketing is I'm finding the opportunities. I'm putting myself in the position to move forward with those opportunities. And this nonprofit that we started during the pandemic is called paint the void. Some of you from San Francisco may recognize that name. It, it boomed unexpectedly, which was incredible, but it all started because two friends of mine who are um, a public arts production company on, you know, their full-time jobs were also, you know, stunted and not working at the time as was everybody. This was about three weeks into shutdown here in the city. And I saw one of them post a, you know, a photo of, of a person painting a boarded up, you know, storefront on Instagram. And she's somebody that I worked on a past production with. So I, I wrote her, I said, Hey, Shannon, you know, what's this project? This is beautiful. Who's painting. Um, do you need photography? And she immediately said, yeah, actually, can you go out and shoot it? We don't have anyone shooting it. I said, yes. And at that point I was really looking for any opportunity to leave my home. Right. I still wasn't even going on daily walks yet. So it was like a big deal to walk outside of my apartment. And I went and I stood there and I, and I watched this artist paint a mural. And it was when people were okayed to start going on their daily walks. I swear it was that same week that people were like, yes, go outside, go walk, get fresh air, but just keep distance. Right. And I watched people walk by this muralist and you saw their demeanor just change. Like they're all of a sudden they stood up taller, they paused, they looked bright eyed. I mean, they were kind of engaged and you could tell it just brought a sense of hope and a little bit of a smile in a very dark time and in a confusing and weird time. So, um, I immediately called Shannon when I left that and I said, Hey, this is, this is good. Like this is a really good project. Like there's a, a very clear, direct impact happening here. Who's painting next? Cause they started this fundraiser to fund a few artists to go paint. And so then I showed up the next day to another artist and I ran into somebody who was walking their dog and was stopped by the mural and was an editor for, I want to say 
kicking myself for not remembering one of the SF editorials. And she said, you know, I'd love to know more about this project. And I felt like a hype woman. I'm like, have you heard about Pink the Boy? We're doing many murals, um, which is what I do. I'm a, hype, I'm a hype woman too. So I was hyping up the project and her and Cron 4 immediately caught wind and asked for an interview. And I said, oh, well, I'm not, you know, I asked Shannon, I said, hey, you know, they want an interview. Do you want to do it? And she says, well, hold on. You're the boots on the ground. You're seeing this thing. Do you want to do it? And I said, sure. And we got on the news and I, again, as my natural like hype woman self, just talked this project up, talked about what the impact was. And immediately after Shannon was like, do you want to be a co-founder? <laughs> do you want to help? Do you want to help push this thing along? And I did. I jumped in and I just ran with social media, photographing. I was chasing artists in the street and no one was on the road. So I'd like get in my Tonka truck, you know, FJ Cruiser, and I'd run around the city and I'd chase down artists and try to track them down and capture photos and then, you know, publicize it on the internet and, you know, our small goal of funding, you know, maybe 15 murals jumped to 30 and then it jumped to 50. And then I was like, okay, we should do a hundred. And they're like, you're crazy. <laughs> but then we did it. We did a hundred. And, and in that a lot happened here, uh, obviously in the world, but especially here in the Bay with um, a lot of different, a lot of different themes, a lot of different topics. And so I felt a very unique shift in my work that was really driving towards big commercial work um, and kind of brought me back down boots on the ground with my community and, and really got me back into the sense of, oh yeah, community is, is a lot of what I am I'm all about and seeing people for who they are and what their passions are. And so I was able to kind of um, use my skill set with photography and storytelling to help uplift that project and the artists um, who were involved and the community just as a whole. So we um, we won some awards for that. We got some great grants and recognition from the city and that project just closed its first big mural exhibition in January. We did a, a retrospective where people could come and see the murals together for the first time, just a, a select few of the murals. But yeah, that was a nonprofit project that I didn't anticipate ever being involved in, but aligned so incredible with incredibly with the work that I do and I'm so passionate about it. So I'm, you know, I'm involved as I can be uh, as commercial work has now picked back up in the meantime. Did any of that lead to some good leads for your commercial work? Yes. Great question. It did. You know, I love moleskin. You guys know moleskin, the great sure. journal. Yeah. Oh gosh. So I, it's literally the only journal I've used. And I, this was that my biggest, ex, you know, exciting point at one point, the, the um, marketing manager and social media manager for Moleskin saw the arts and met one of the artists through Instagram and saw the work they were doing and, and said, hey, can you paint a mural on the storefront of Moleskin? Um, and hey, we're going to need you know photographs of it. Who do I? I don't know anybody there because they're based in East Coast. And so that artist, obviously having worked with me, put me in touch and, or actually it kind of went both ways. They, he liked their work. He reached, he found me through Instagram and was like, Hey, you know, what is this project? Can we hire him? So it was kind of actually like a two in one outreach that we were just all hyping each other up and supporting each other. And, uh, and I got hired to work with Moleskin and that led to many Moleskin jobs. And they're one of my clients now, and I love working with them, but that was through them really seeing the arts and then finding me as a photographer through that. Love that. I think that's a yeah. great story about what personal work can get you. I'm thinking 100%. Right. I think a lot of artists forget or some forget that people really want to know who you are as a person, what you're passionate about. And when they see that through your personal work, right, mm -hmm. it's inspiring and 
you know, makes them inspired to tell a, a story about their brand in a different way that they hadn't thought of. Absolutely. And I think it's fascinating. I mean, I have back-to-back meetings all day today with people that I've met through this project that have seen the work that I did and, and that project again, gained so much traction. I mean, it was, you know, my work was seen more than I've ever had it seen before, really, just because it was an incredible and genuine, you know, initiative. But I think in that people saw my work for what that is, which is people in passion doing good and trying to uplift. And that's all, you know, the same things that I really root for in my life and work anyways. And so the people that have seen that work have now reached out to say, Hey, you know, our project or our company is doing something with a similar energy, right. Or a similar motive. And can we talk to you about that? And so it's exciting because I do see that the sponsorships or partnerships with the city, with different um, communities and organizations that really had eyes on the project are now reaching to me direct and say, hey, I really, you know, I'm really curious about what your photography can do for us. And that was unexpected, but is an incredible turn of events. <laughs> Great. I love that story. Mm-hmm. Very, very cool. What else can you tell us about maybe where you're going next? And, or do you want to even dive a little bit into the work you're doing for the APA? Can we dive into that a little? Sure. Yeah. So right now, where do I begin? There's incredible changes happening in APA and in our industry, right? We're seeing a lot of change with the climate of how social media is being used, how clients need content, um, how photographs are being used, video, reels, motion, all the, all of it is just constantly evolving. But right now there seems to be a really big shift. And so in terms of APA, we're really trying to prioritize a broader perspective and trying to grow our membership to be that broader perspective so that people can learn from one another. I mean, APA is really rooted, for those of you who don't know, it stands for American Photographic Art. It's a nonprofit organization that's nationwide. We have chapters throughout the country and really it's about community initiatives, but it's also really about um, elevating our industry as a whole and doing what we need to logistically to make sure that our businesses and our careers can thrive. And uh, if some of you are just emerging, you will soon find out there is so much it takes to run a business in photography. Unfortunately, it's not just running out on the street and taking cool pictures and that's it. There's just so many legalities and there's estimating, there's invoicing, there's, you know, the follow-ups, the marketing, the taxes, the, you know, workers' compensation, insurance, there's just so much. And so they really work to create some level of kind of standard of quality. And we really try to um, uphold that and spread that for emerging photographers and professional photographers. And again, because things change, we all are constantly learning or relearning things. And right now we're working on finding better ways for the community to connect and share resources. Um, and there's, I mean, there's so many resources available, but I'm, I'm really passionate with our board right now. San Francisco chapter has a lot of open seats that we have a lot of open chairs where people can come and join the board. And so we're really excited about getting new board members that have unique perspectives on how can we help our industry and especially our industry here in the Bay area 
thrive? What is it that, what troubles and challenges are we seeing and how can we come together to find solutions and then to express and convey those solutions to our clients or vice versa? So right now we're really building a new sense of community, especially coming out of the pandemic. And a lot of that is rooted in trying to get new board members who are passionate about our industry and about the community and, and helping to support so that we can all rise together. And then outside of APA, I'm, I'm personally just really passionate about how how many teams are coming together to work together right now. I think before we all got stuck really working alone and I'm seeing the, this really nice uh, shift right now where people are tapping on each other. And maybe that means you're stepping into roles you don't typically step into. Like for example, I used to produce, I stopped producing to focus on my commercial work. And now I've picked back up producing for motion sets, which is super new to me, <laughs> but I love it. And so being able to work in wear different hats right now has been what's kind of helping me just feel more grounded in our community and in the industry and seeing a more well-rounded perspective. And I like that I get to work with different teams. Um, and now when I'm shooting, I know, well, what motion people are, am I going to call for my set? Because having motion and photo on, you know, one set is really common now. So I know, well, what are my crews? Who are my crews? Who am I calling on? And really trying to make sure that I have the budget to support. Because again, if it's just me as a shooter that's working right now, that's not helpful for our industry as a comeback from COVID. So to me, I'm like, okay, who else can I bring on? And how can we rise together and work together and, and yeah, and create work we're proud of with shared perspectives and varying perspectives. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of growth with community and with, you know, trying to, I would say, be more intentional with the perspectives and what we're, what we're providing with our work in the larger context. I think that's a good point. I think, I mean, we just had a clubhouse a couple of weeks ago where there were the, the ladies who are, they're in the Bay area, right? Chili, the collective that was on, that you interviewed, Michelle Russ and modern creative, modern creative. Thank you. Five photographers who are collectively marketing together. Um, I think that's going to start showing up a lot more this year too. I agree. And I think I remember seeing collective like that word a lot when I was just getting out of college. And I remember being really passionate about the idea of running a collective. I got really, that was, that was before I got involved with APA. I was like, I'm going to just start a collective. Right. And then I was like, oh, APA exists and the structure is there. So let me just implement my passion with something that already exists because then I just advised again to a, a young emerging photographer and videographer the other day who also wants to start a collective of just there's a difference between shooting, being a photographer and being a creator and being a you know manager of a collective, right? Because again, there's so many moving parts of who's managing what and organizing. I mean, even just being a part of the teams with the nonprofits, you're just it's more, it's more work. And so you're either working a lot more or working at a faster pace. If you're still trying to keep your creative, you know, juices alive and still be shooting and working, but, um, it takes a team for sure. So I think it's just understanding on the collective who's in charge of what, and what does it mean to be a collective and really just defining that, that, and I, and I do, I still am. I still have that passion. It's still there. I'm finding new creative ways to create collectives on the side, but, but I'm so glad I found APA because again, the structure's there. We just get to now like fine tune it and update it so that it, it resonates with people today. I'm really curious. You talked about two particular mentors in your journey to where you are today. 
And it sounds like you're paying that forward with emerging artists coming up now. But I'd love to dig into that mentor-mentee relationship a little bit. You as the mentee and like what Steve and Matt have, you know, kind of instilled in you and the things you learned from them and then how you're flipping that now being a mentor for those coming up. Uh, it's such a good question. So as a mentee, I, I, I see now how much I wanted to do things for myself. I had a hard time being a mentee because I thought I knew it all. <laughs> I was ready to go. Okay. I had that drive. So it was funny because Steve, would tell me things that I wasn't prepared to hear, like the reality, right? The harsh reality of running a business, the finances, the insurance, the taking care of your gear. I mean, I was the girl that I still am that throws the camera over my hip. It knocks stuff over and I don't care. I'm like, Oh, it's fine. And he's like, your gear. (laughs) So to me, it's, it's a funny thing how I was not, I was not totally receptive to what being a mentee was, but I, but I, was always showing up and trying and doing it. And luckily he stuck through probably my annoyances of not totally grasping everything he was wanting to share with me. Right. And he would repeat himself repeatedly and he'd get frustrated with me for sure, but he stuck with me. Right. He didn't give up and he saw in me what were my strengths and just kind of trusted. Yes, you are on your own path. And he, I think also, and he shares to this day that it, it opens his eyes too to, well, what, how am I taking things? How am I doing things? You know, and, and it challenges his way. Right. So it's, it was a good relationship and that, and I'm, I'm taking that example to the way that I just hired an assistant who is an emerging photographer and, And I have been working with a lot of emerging photographers on my crew sets. And I'm realizing how much I do love sharing the knowledge I've learned because I've learned a lot and I want to share it and express it. Um, And one thing I, I think that I have, and really because I'm rooted in a, in a mindful practice, I do a lot of yoga and meditation. And so I have a lot more personal practices that I think I'm excited to implement in the way I mentor in terms of um, really setting clear expectations and communicating with compassion and not having that, I think, older generation's perspective of hustle mentality, which was a lot sharper and harsher. And I think, and not to say that Steve or Mark LeBlanc had these traits because they honestly didn't, but I saw it in the industry as a whole where it was kind of cutthroat in a lot of ways. And I, I, I am kind of cutthroat in a lot of ways, even as a woman. And I, I recognize that, but I'm trying to be a lot more intentional and methodical with how I share information and make sure that they understand. And I give them a lot of that freedom to find their own way. And just to know that I'm a resource. If you have questions, you reach out. And I think that's the thing I'm encouraging the most is just keep reaching out, keep showing up, whether or not it clicks right away or it's years later. I mean, for me, a lot of stuff didn't click until a decade later, but I'm far more prepared to digest that information because it's been trickling in. It's like a compound interest. It's accumulating. And all of a sudden I'm like, Ooh, got it. So when I, when now, when I'm mentoring people, I'm really prioritizing not putting on pressure, but really letting them know that I'm a resource and I have a lot of information and I'm, you know, open to sharing it. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Cool. Yeah. Hey everyone. This season's sponsor is Pedro and Jackie. If you haven't heard of this company, you need to know about it. Peter Denon is the bomb. He is an amazing photo consultant that should be added to your toolbox. Working with artists on website edits, printed portfolios, marketing strategy, 
promo development, estimating, pitch decks, and so much more. I am a huge fan, obviously, and I've been sending my artist his way to get prepared for the upcoming New York Boulevard portfolio reviews. Who doesn't need help slogging through all of your images, deciding which to feature and in what order? Or maybe you just need a fresh set of eyes on your website to help you bring it back to life. He's super fun, personable, encouraging, and well-seasoned in our industry. He loves what he does, and he's invested in each of his clients' success. I can't say enough good things about him, and I hope you guys will go check him out. Go to www.pedroandjackie.com to see the work. We are thrilled to have him as our sponsor, and he's offering our listeners a 15% discount on either a website edit or a printed portfolio. All you have to do is reference Pedro plus Jackie 15. You can put that either in the notes when you contact him through his contact page on the website, or if you're gonna email him directly, just make sure you reference that to get the discount. The offer will last till the end of this season, which is May 19th, 2022. I love how you've kind of taken it, taken it into a, a financial example. I like the compound interest example. I'm really curious, like, what is, what is your relationship with your mentors now? Is it very more like colleagues, you know, sharing information, or is it still kind of more like the teacher student relationship? It's 100% colleagues. Um, we are friends. We are colleagues. We, you know, share and ask and and chime in whenever possible. And I I do work to maintain that relationship with my people. And now I, I've actually really accumulated more mentors. I mean, when I joined the board, Lupin and Ken, who are both from Capital Art, were incredible examples of this inclusive and intentional kind of compassionate speaking, right? Like the way that they communicated what they expected of their studio and of their efforts really taught me, well, yeah, I want, I am an intentional person and, oh, we can work in this way. It doesn't have to be hustle mentality. And they're not, you know, they are also in the industry. And so they've seen all the ranges of how it's evolved. And so they became mentors in a lot of ways too. And still to this day, I will audio, you know, you know, audio memos now. I don't even text. I'll just audio message Ken click and I'm like, Ken, can I, can I run this by you? Can I get your input? And he just has that level head to, to share his feedback and to help me. And this is one thing I really learned from Ken was Oh gosh, I just haven't said it enough. I love him. Gosh, I'm so glad I met him. And he's been an incredible guide. He, he really had me uh, in the practice of looking at all angles and not being reactive. So when somebody, for example, has an inquiry or there's these limitations, instead of being reactive and, and decisive right off the bat, it's pausing and really looking at it from all angles and deciding how to move forward. And, and he totally has a marketing and sales background. So you can see how that really comes into play in terms of like, well, let's, let's find a solution. Let's figure it out. Let's work, you know, let's work to see. And so I've, long story short, I've accumulated um, new mentors in new ways and still are in at a position of we are colleagues, but we can share resources and really tap into each other's strengths and try to learn from one another so that we can accumulate um, and build those skill sets, you know, because we all carry such different skills and roles. Yeah, I, I love that. I love that you're collecting new guides as you kind of grow in your career, right? 
And I think that's a thing to know is that mentors come in and out of your life at certain points in time, depending on how your career growth is, right? So obviously you're in a completely different area uh, now than where you were as a student. And the things that, that growth that you mentioned, like that clicks in, opens up new ideas for you and things that you didn't know that you didn't need to know, you now see a little bit further down the path. And that's when that new perspective comes in. I think that's really beautiful. Yeah. But I'm really also curious about how the relationship of your business has grown. You talked about not being part of the hustle culture, kind of mm -hmm. being a little bit more mindful and maybe a little more selective as you've gained some more wisdom and insight. Can you talk about how that has affected the way that you think about work and that you think about creativity? Mm, it's a juicy one. So this was a, a pivotal point in my career. And I want to say it happened about three years ago, I would say 2018, it started happening, but in 2019, it was, it was a very clear happening, which was, I started saying no. Um, and I never felt that comfortable to say no before, because I, I needed to prove myself. I needed to make my way. I needed to take, you know, any job that came, I needed to make money. I needed to just build my experience. I mean, it was, everything was, I realized actually during the pandemic, a lot of that mentality was, making my mark and proving myself in this industry as I am here and I'm here to stay and I'm actively working. Um, and especially as a woman with, with many passions and with my hands and many buckets, especially in producing roles, there's a lot of questioning. People have a lot of questions about, well, what do you really do? And to me, I'm a big believer on like, I have a hustle mentality and I definitely do a lot of different things, but to me, they all funnel into a root purpose. And I got very clear on what that was by practicing all of the things and realizing, you know, after a certain amount of time, which for me was in 2019, that I, I knew who I was and I know what work resonated with me and what work I was going to be proud to show and share. And so I began, I mean, even earlier on in 2019, saying no to some of the, the kind of personal projects that I was taking before that were very low budget. And I just said, you know, that's time and energy out, whether or not you know, it's something interesting. Like I had to be very protective of my time and my energy because that's an investment as well. And I started saying no to low budgeted jobs. And then in 2019, I really started saying no to even some bigger budgeted jobs because the, the work didn't align and the quality of work didn't align with where I was heading. And it was actually really great because the quality of work was really fitting for other people I knew in my community. So I began, I, that's where I really felt like I began to be a resource because people would come to me for whatever reason with a job. And if I couldn't do it, I knew who to send their way. I knew who to give a referral to. And that was really exciting because it made saying no better. It wasn't no buy. It was let's build this connection because there might be something in the future, but let me, let me introduce you to somebody who's going to be a good fit for you right now. And it was kind of that passing along of work that made, I think the biggest shift in my career, because I also started getting it in return. People started giving things back. Um, and so I really felt like that was a big transition for me of being able to decipher what was worth my time, my energy, even if it was a low budget or a big budget and really hone in on that and pass along what didn't fit. 
Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think we talk about that with a lot, a number of people on this podcast about mm -hmm. learning when it's okay to say no and how that opens up other doors for you. That, and, and I love the part too about not just saying no, but saying no, but I have somebody I know who could help you or mm -hmm. I could help you in this way, you know, that might be different and, um, and what that does and how all of that kind of pays it forward for the rest of the community. That's a great message. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we always like to ask towards the end of our podcast, we always like to ask, you know, are there things along the way that you wish someone had told you that you didn't find out till, you know, years mm -hmm. after you'd been a photographer? Oh, that's a good one. Yes. Many things. But again, I probably wouldn't have listened. So that's okay. If I say it now and you're like, eh, for later. Uh, yeah. Save it for later. It'll accumulate, you know, I would say I didn't, I didn't realize how tired I would get. And I have a lot of energy. So that that's always a shock when I am tired. Um, I didn't, I didn't account for aging. <laughs> I thought I'm going to be a freelance the rest of my life. I'm going to travel the world. I'm going to do all the things I want to do. And it wasn't until recently where I realized like, Oh yeah. When you start to age, you get a little tired. <laughs> you get a little, your body, your energy, the way, even, even the way that my mind multitasks, I need more time and space. I need my well being. I need to feel good for things to get done. Well, like that fast paced hustle worked when I was young. Cause I had this insane energy I still have an insane amount, but it comes in waves. And so what I'm learning now that I think I would advise to those who are are in that like high energy go mentality is like, that's great. Run that, but take care of yourself, prioritize your health so that you can sustain that energy and save things for rainy days. So know when to, you know, work really hard, when to hustle so that you can take breaks later. And that can mean, yes, you take a bunch of jobs in, you know, February and you give yourself a week off in March, just to reset, refresh, get clear, you know, give a, give a quality effort to just like you and then move on to giving to others and working with clients again, if you can financially. Um, but that also goes in the long run to say, you know, these are our, if when we're, you know, when we have the energy, these are our hustle, hard working years, accumulate those finances and, and save the best you can. And not just money, but resources, right? Like don't burn bridges. Don't like maintain a sense of connection to people and do what you can to keep that in a, you know, sustainable way, but keep that going because you don't know what your job will be when you're 50. And unfortunately, when you're a freelancer, you know, you may not know right off the bat to be paying into your retirement. Right. And that was something that I, that people, Steve, for example, always told me about my retirement in the future, you know, of finances. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Now I'm like, shit, I should have listened. But, um, but, you know, being able to prepare for the future because your body and you will feel different in 10 to 20 years. It's inevitable. That's aging. That's life. But you can position yourself in this career to do different work. You don't have to be only ever a shooter. You don't have to only ever be an assistant. You will always evolve and change. And so I think staying open, but being very aware that your career is never going to be what it, you know, what you expect it to be. And it is always changing. Good. 
I like it. <laughs> does that <laughs> does that make it clear that I'm a little bit tired? <laughs> but I um, love. Yeah, but I think collectively, like we're all really tired. We've all just come through a two-year period that was kind of insanity, right? And we had to do a lot of different things to try to get ourselves through it. And everyone I talked to lately, especially at the beginning of this year, was really kind of struggling with like getting back at it and what am I going to do next? And why am I feeling tired? You know, like we really expanded or expanded Bended a lot of energy over the last couple of years when work got slower. That meant we, okay, mentally as a creative, that means, okay, I got to figure out what I'm going to do to get that work back. Yeah. What am I going to do that's different to support my income for a little bit until I get that work back, right? That's a lot yeah. of energy spent. It is. And, it, and it's energy that doesn't seem like it because you're physically mm -hmm. maybe more still, but emotionally and mentally, it takes its toll. And I think, you know, we see it in different ways as freelancers. If something's going on in our personal lives, it slows us down or impacts us. And so you have to, again, have, you know, have a room and space when you need it. And that's the gift of freelance or the gift of working in this industry if you're on project-based work. But I do think, and you said it a little bit, which is just the point of, oh, I just lost the thought. Shoot. That also happens with aging. Um, <laughs> But no, I, there was something I was going to say about, about this and it, it'll come back to me in a moment. I like the message. I think it's super important as creatives. And this has come up a lot as well over the, you know, after the last two years, the burnout factor, right? Yeah. And when you do hustle like that nonstop, it, you know, mm -hmm. it takes a toll. Yeah. Sure. I remember. I remember. Oh, good. That. Okay. I was going, I was going to say that one thing I'd also just suggest, because if you start to under wrap your head and around, you know, at a younger age in the industry, around the fact that it's never going to be what you expect and it's always changing, right? And just knowing that you and your experience and everything is just always changing, there's a huge level of trust in the process. And that was something that I learned a lot through my foundations with yoga and, and meditation and, and just understanding like trusting your process, gathering intel, gathering information, but also trusting yourself as a creative to know that, you know, you're doing it your way. And there's a reason for that. And, and, and really knowing how to shake things up and change your perspective. Like I got really headstrong about a certain kind of style of work for a while. And I'm at a point now where I'm ready to shake it up. And I don't know what that looks like yet, but I'm all of a sudden, you know, in a new way, again, finding that trust in myself to just say, okay, I'm, I'm in a transitional period or I'm in a change, or maybe I'm on the cusp of change. And I just have to trust and follow my intuition and my perspective and what feels right versus trying to stay in what I was doing. And so you brought it back when you're saying with, you know, being kind of tired with the pandemic and trying to get back into it. I know so many people have just changed paths and courses. And to me, that does not mean you have failed as a photographer. Like I heard it put once before that it's like, you know, a photographer is just dependent on those tools. You're still a creative internally, or you're still that person intuitively. Those are just your tools. And so how you decide to change course is always dependent on, well, what tools are you using? What are you tapping into? How can you change your perspective in order to do things different so they don't get stale? And I think to me, like the death of my creativity is when things are two step and repeat and they become um, automated where I'm not thinking creatively. And so I will naturally like a survival mode kicks in for me where I shake shit up whether I want to or not because I'm bored and I need to keep myself growing and evolving. And that's just 
who and how I am, but, but change and kind of stepping out of the box is I think also very important and, and it allows for new opportunities. Yeah. I love that. Will you tell um, our listeners, Lisa, where they can find you, but also where they can find your projects, you know, your, um, Paint the void. Yeah. Yeah. So lisavortman.com is my website and same with my social media, Lisa Vortman. I just started a portfolio Instagram. Oh man, it's hard to manage more than one, but Lisa Vortman underscore creative. That's where I'm showing more of my commercial work. Um, just to have that kind of more, uh, curated and then paint the void project on Instagram or paintthevoid.org is a great organization. We are currently fundraising to make a coffee table book, which is a huge goal of mine. I've always wanted a coffee table book. So, uh, just, just to be a part of one even, but to make one is even bigger. So that's, that's exciting. And then APA San Francisco is, um, where our, our community, uh, is on Instagram or apanational.org. It is an incredible community and a resource. So I definitely recommend looking that up. Love that plug. And don't forget that one of the co-founders is the national executive director, Juliet Wolf-Robin. So she'll love the plug too. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. It was really exciting. We definitely would love to have you back and definitely want to keep in touch to hear more about your project and and see that coffee table book too. Thank you, thank you. It was a pleasure talking with you and um, yeah, I look forward to more. Yeah, everyone, you can find us at focusonwomen.org. Don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes or Spotify and stay safe and keep your creative juices flowing. 